Welcome to Pastor Bill's Classroom. We are in our study of the Corinthian Letters, Lesson 61, entitled, Transformation, Part 4. Hello, welcome back to our midweek study. Uh, we are in the book of 1 Corinthians. We have been now for, I think, four times. This is our fourth. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is a chapter, the majority of the chapters based, or is the, the, the thrust is... The, the resurrection in general, not just uh, Jesus' resurrection, but in particular our resurrection, uh, which a lot of people don't consider to be to matter, and thus the reason why the Holy Spirit inspired for us 1 Corinthians uh, 15. And we've been looking at some of the implications, some of the things that, that are there about our resurrection, and we're not going to be looking directly at chapter 15 today because uh, there are obviously more things that the Bible has to say about the resurrection and more implications, and there are, of course, a lot more questions about that. And so I want us to cover some of that before we move on to another topic. As we move through the scriptures, we, we pick up new topics because that's, that's the way it works. So we're going to do that together, and uh, we're going to be actually, if, the place I want you to turn is Mark chapter 12, uh, a spot in the Bible to at least anchor us there. We're going to be going several places, and I'll be putting them on the screen for you as I most often do. Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. So you have a Bible with you if you don't get one. And we're going to be uh, focusing on that one here just a bit. Mark 12, 18 through 24. So let's, let's pray together. God, we, uh, we thank you that uh, you have uh, what's best for us planned. And a part of what's best for us is going to be our resurrection. It's not going to be uh, a life other than what we know. It's going to be the life that we know, but far, far better uh, in physical bodies that don't get sick and uh, that don't need to be healed and that can't be injured. And just your, your plans, God, are amazing. We look forward to those fulfillment of the plans. But we know, even though we don't fully understand them, we know one thing, God, if, if it's what you want for us, it's by far the best. And so we're looking forward to that. Help us to understand what we can. Uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so sometimes when the subject of resurrection comes up uh, in the afterlife, uh, we tend to come away with more questions than answers. Uh, the most common question is, you know, well, I guess the broad overarching question is, what will it really be like? And uh, the answer to that question is, uh, there are some of those, a part of that, maybe a, maybe a larger part of that than we'd like to think, of what it, what it will actually be like that we won't really know until we get there. And, um, you know, it needs to be okay. Uh, but there's another part, at least we can gather, glean from the scriptures, from the Bible, it reveals to us, and, and what, we can, what we can gather, we, we, sh we should know those things. And so we're going to look at several passages today and answer maybe some big questions, some that are common, and some other questions that we should be asking that we aren't. Uh, but, but first of all, let's go to Mark chapter 12, and here we have, again, not a... It is, it is concerning the resurrection, but there are some questions that, are, that come out of this, and there are some assumptions that bowl out of this that are, that are completely wrong. But let's, let's consider what Jesus has to say here as he's questioned about the resurrection. He doesn't necessarily bring up the topic. In fact, he doesn't. He's brought up to him by a group of guys called the Sadducees. And the Sadducees are, are men who did not believe that there was an afterlife. They didn't believe. They thought it was a laughable notion that we were going to be resurrected. And uh, sort of in the same way that the Greeks didn't believe in the resurrection, but the, but the Sadducees, more, more, more than anything, believed we just ceased to exist. 
uh, annihilation. The Greeks believe we continue on in a spiritual state, and the Sadducees, that's why they were, as they say, you've heard that before, that's why they were sad, you see, because they had no understanding of, it, of an afterlife, didn't believe in it. And so they, they're going to try to uh, pick on Jesus, the wrong person, about what they thought was the ridiculous notion of the afterlife. Uh, bad choice on their part, but boy, did we learn some lessons in, on the side from about resurrect, our resurrected bodies and the things that are going to take place there. So, verse 18, chapter 12 of Mark. And some Sadducees, and then in parentheses, who say that there is no resurrection, came to him, Jesus, and began questioning him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote, and this is true, for that if a man, his, his brother, dies and leaves behind a wife and leaves no child, his brother should take the wife and raise up offspring to his brother. It's called a leveret marriage. So, so if I'm married and my brother's married and my brother dies without any offspring, any, any heirs, then my responsibility as his brother is to marry his now widowed wife. And the first child, male child, that is born to us becomes his child and, and takes his uh, inheritance, whatever that might be, property or whatever. Uh, which meant, among other things, that you'd, you really cared a lot more about who your brother married. <laughs> oh no, you're not married to her. But sure enough, you're going to die and leave her without a child, and then I'm going to be stuck with her. No, 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 no. You had a lot more say, families did, and who people married uh, back then for sure. But they're using this as a jumping-off place to criticize the, what they think is the ridiculous idea of the afterlife. And here's, so they give this, for instance, story, verse 20. There were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died, leaving no offspring. Like I said, according to law, the next brother has to marry her. The second one took her and died, leaving behind no offspring. And the third is a hypothetical situation, uh, not... Not, a, not actually one that happened, but nonetheless, it could possibly happen. And the third likewise, and all seven left no offspring, and last of all, the woman died also. So you have seven men all married to the same woman, and uh, again, they're, they're not interested in whether or not she had children, they're interested in, so what's it going to be in the afterlife? So all seven left no offspring in the resurrection, verse 23, here's their angle. When they rise again, which one's wife will she be? For all seven had her as wife. There's going to be, that's their point, it, confusion in eternity if there's such a thing because uh, 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 she'll, she'll be married to all seven. It'll be a messed up place. And so anyway, uh, just Jesus is going to uncover their fallacy of the argument by just simply making a statement or asking a question, stating their condition. Is it not the reason for your, that you are mistaken, that you do not understand the Scriptures or the power of God? In other words, he's just making an obvious, what he considers to be an obvious point. Because you don't understand the Scriptures, the power of God, is the reason why you have these false conclusions. Wow. <laughs> so you don't know the Bible, and you don't know God. Well, that'll keep you from understanding things, that's, that's for sure. You won't understand the afterlife and God, the God who's in control of it, if you don't understand what God has said to us, and thus understand who God is, which that's the way he's communicating himself to us. For, then now he begins to teach. First of all, he's taught us these guys are off because they don't know the Bible or God. Now he begins to tell us. For when they rise, not if, when they do, these seven and anyone else that rises, 
from the dead. They neither marry nor are given in marriage. So you're no longer married in eternity. So he throws that whole argument out. But are like the angels in heaven. Pay attention to that. That's important. We're going to go back to that. But regarding the fact that the dead rise again, have you not read in the book of Moses, first five books of the Bible, in the passage about the burning bush and how God spoke to, spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. He said, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living you are greatly mistaken. So he uses their own Bible that they believe didn't teach anything about the afterlife. And he shows them that very much it does. Just, just the tense that God uses here. He doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham. He says, I am currently. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Well played, Jesus, he always did. Big dummies, the Sadducees, you know, they always were. So, so, so Jesus clearly teaches things clearly, clears up things quite well uh, for them and for others listening. And interestingly enough, though, many of our false ideas of resurrection are based on wrong interpretations of what he just said. One of those is when we... When we enter in eternity, we become angels. He did not say that. But I cannot tell you how often I hear somebody who, you know, they say so-and-so has passed away. I guess they're an angel now. From where did you get that notion? They get that notion from what they think Jesus says, but that is not at all what Jesus said. He does not say that we will be angels. He said we will be like the angels only in one aspect in that angels are not married, neither will we be married in eternity. Marriage is something only of this life. It will not be of the next life. It does not in any way indicate that we will become angels, though. Not any more than they will become some of us. Uh, two separate creatures. It's like saying a cow becomes a horse. No, they won't. cow's going to be a cow, and a horse is going to be a horse. We're not going to become angels, and they're not going to become humans. They're separate creatures. They're just not, the, the, the only thing that we have in common with them in eternity is that we're not going to be married. And some would say, well, if I'm not going to be married, well, then I don't want to go. And then others would also say, if I'm not going to be married, then that's what's going to make heaven heaven, right? <laughs> so let's be careful not to make this say any more or, or any less than what it does. Uh, it does say that we will not be paired off. It does say that. It does not say that our family or our loved ones will be, mean anything less to us or be any less important to us uh, in the next life. So it's, it's not like you're going to lose, you don't lose your wife or your husband. You don't lose them. You're, you're getting them more than you've ever had them in this life. And we're, we're going to see some of that played out here in other scriptures. So, so there are many other questions about the resurrection and our eternal state that the Bible doesn't answer outright because the answers are, well, they're caught up in other things. We can glean them. They're, they're secondary applications of, of another story. And even though not being taught about the resurrection or the afterlife, we are being taught about the resurrection and the afterlife if we'll, if we'll apply all logic and reasoning to what the Bible teaches to us. And we can come at these from, from, from a direction that, that uh, I think is good, which is common questions that I hear. Maybe you hear as well. Here's one of them. Will I know my loved ones in the resurrection? Well, what Jesus just said indicates that yes, we will. And, and yeah, the relationship won't be exactly the same. I would submit to you, it's going to be better. 
got to be better. The Bible doesn't answer that directly, but consider, consider uh, places like this, like, like Matthew uh, 17, verses 2 through 4. It should be on your screen right down here. Matthew 17, verses 2 through 4. He was transfigured. This is the transfiguration. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up with him on a high mountain, and he's transfigured, it says, into light. And they see him for who he really is. He was just, just a regular old Jew, looked like everybody else. And boy, uh, they see him differently up there. He was transfigured before them, this, this whole incident. And so Peter, James, and John are watching all this. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them. So out of eternity steps Moses and Elijah. Jesus, the eternal one, was with them the whole time. And out of eternity, two historical figures, Moses and Elijah. Moses you know, lives maybe a thousand years before, and Elijah maybe 500 years before them. Talking to him, Jesus. And then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles. Let's just stay. This is pretty cool. Make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Here's the question I have about eternity. It raises and answers uh, several questions and answers several more. How did Peter know this was Moses and Elijah? Do they have, like, you know, name tags on no indication they were introduced. They don't come in and talk to Peter and James and John. They're just watching. And Moses is having, or Jesus is having a conversation with Moses and Elijah. How did Peter know this was Moses and Elijah? They lived, some, some cases, thousand, thousand years before. Just a question. But I think it may, may hint toward an answer of what eternity is going to be like with regards to those, the things that we know. We're going to know people there. How are we going to know them? Because we're just going to know stuff. Eternity is going to be a place where you know stuff. And one thing you need to be clear about, about this life is we don't know stuff here. You think you do, but you have no point of reference. I don't either. But constantly we're coming across, if we come across the scriptures, we have scriptures that are, that are smacking us upside the head, if you will, of wow, how, how much else, what else are we missing? What is sin and the sinful nature done to us. He just knew who they were. That's the best answer. How are we going to know people in heaven and eternity? We're just going to know them. We're just going to know them. The stuff that makes us forget here is not going to be working on us there. It's a simple, maybe crude answer, but uh, a good one. Here, here's another place. We've been studying this on Sunday mornings, Luke chapter 16. It's the story, the parable of the Lazarus and the rich man who die and they go to separate one a place of paradise and another place of place of torment and anyway as in that story Jesus is telling us again the eternal one Jesus is telling us the conditions of eternity and the conditions of eternity is that yeah life can go a lot of directions in, in this life but in the next life only two one a place of torment one a place of paradise but, but again, this is not intended to teach us strictly about our resurrected bodies and our experiences there, but it does teach us. So, so let's just listen to, to what, what it has to say there. Uh, Luke chapter 16, verses 24 to 25, again, on your screen here on the bottom corner. Yeah, so, so the rich man is in torment, and he sees Father Abraham a long ways away, and that's the way he addressed him. Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip, notice he's able to see and recognize people. That's instructive about eternity. 
Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and you're in torment. A couple questions. Number one, how did he know that was Abraham? Abraham wearing a name tag? I don't think so. I don't think so. Abraham lived about 2,000 years before this event. Wow. How did he know? Again, it, it, it was in a rudimentary way of approaching it or saying it. Eternity's going to be a place where you know stuff. How, here's another question. How did Abraham know about someone's life who lived 2,000 years after him? Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and likewise he knew about Lazarus and the rich man. How do you know that? How do you know that? Again, this is not out and out stating, okay, eternity is going to be a place where you know stuff, but it is indicating that, is it not? You find that over and over again. Over the, the, the few glimpses we get into eternity, people know stuff. People know stuff. They exist. They're aware. They're able to hear. They're able to see. They're able to speak. It's a place where we know stuff. Eternity is going to be a place where our knowledge and memory is far better than anything you experience here. So I can imagine eternity being a place where you know less than you know here. Am I going to know my relatives? Of course you're going to know them. Of course you are. Again, applying logic and reasoning to what the scriptures uh, seem to indicate. Will my family, here's, here's a derivative of that, Will my family be together and still have the same love for each other? The answer to that question is both yes and no at the same time. And I'll explain that. First, understand that the best that this life has to offer, the best feelings of this life, and the best experiences you have in this life, which, which I'm assuming that's the reason why you care about whether you're going to see your family or not, the, the best that you have here is just going to be a shadow and a faded picture compared to what you're going to have there. The best you've got... The best days, the best feelings, the best experiences are going to be nothing but a faded picture compared to what's coming for us. So, so the answer to am I going to feel the same way about my family is yes and no. You'll love them more. In fact, that's what it's going to be. Love will be not less in eternity. It will be more our capacity to love. will be more, not less, than this life. No matter how you look at it, the existence we currently endure is really in no way can be compared to the greatness that is headed for us. In fact, the Bible does say that. No way to compare the glory that we're going to be experiencing when we get there. So, so yes, we will be together, and no, you will not have the same love. You will have a greater love for your loved ones in eternity. It's going to be better. We're so worried about that we're losing something. No, you're gaining stuff. You're not losing anything. I mean, you're, if anything, you're losing the horribleness of this. You're leaving, losing the, the distractions, and you're losing the, the selfishness and the sinful nature and all the things that you, at this point, and I do not see how it's messing with us, but it is. That's going to be pulled out of the equation and we're able to have this pure, true love that we don't experience in this life. Almost never. Barely glimpse it. 
faded picture. So will my family be together? Yes, of course. Will we love? No, you'll love more. Another question. How old will we be? I hear this one all the time. People assume because Jesus died at 33 and rose again, of course, at 33, that's kind of where we're going to be. 33 was some of my best years. You know, I'm, I'm going to be, I'll have all my hair, I'll have this, I'll have that. And, and again, it's, but in, and I don't really have an answer for you on, on that. I, I just want to, but let me just qualify it by saying this. Uh, it derails the flow of logic concerning eternity to refer to things that only matter in time. One more time. It derails the flow of logic from the scriptures about what eternity is going to be about, what it's going to feel like, what it's going to look like, to talk about things that only matter in time. Age only matters here. Eternity is a place where age will not matter. So even to talk about it is just a, well, you've already, you've already lost the point. We have. Years and ages only matter in this life, not in the next one. The better way to think of ourselves there is to think of the best qualities of our ages. When we're young, what, what are the benefits of being young? Endless energy, creativity, uninhibited, right? Eternity's going to be like that. When we're old, what's the benefit of that? Well, you lose the youngness, but you also are full of other things like wisdom and know-how. How many times we've looked back and said, well, if I only known uh, then what I know now, well, it's going to be that. You're going to have all the benefits of being young and all the benefits of being old and all the things that, that we lose and that we gain uh, are all going to be coming together because eternity is going to be a place that's far, far better than this life. Another question. Yes, you know, a smattering of questions. Will I still be this short or this tall or this fat or this skinny or this white or this black or this brown or this blonde or this mole or that what, you know, big ears or crooked nose or et cetera, et cetera. And most of these things uh, that we don't like about ourselves. And, and I will say this, uh, most of the stuff that you don't like about your current body, you had to learn not to like it. And in fact, I know where you learned it. You learned it from our sinful culture and probably sinful adults. You notice that little children, don't, those things don't matter to them? The average child. Right? The first thing they say is, as soon as they get a word out, is not, look how crooked my nose is or how big my ears are, how skinny my, or fat my legs are. They don't wonder one bit about it. They have to learn that. They learn that from sinful people like me and you. Heaven and eternity is going to be a place where stuff like that doesn't matter. Think about it. We live in a satanic kingdom that, that we currently inhabit based upon, and, it's, and part, part of it is, which is satanic, is uniformity. Everything has to be the same. Boom, 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 boom. That's not God. That's not the way God created us. God did not created us to be uniform. God had created us to be diverse. Uh, God doesn't at all equate unusual with ugly. He loves unusual. That's the way he created us. I mean, when was the last time you took a look at some of the things that he created, like an elephant or a rhino or a, or a moose? Unusual. Very unusual. God created them that way because God loves. God's a lover of diversity. Why did he go to so much pains to make us each one of us so completely different? And we've talked about this with regards to the resurrection. Are we going to be resurrected exactly the same? No, we're going to be resurrected in our uniqueness. 
the things that are not in sync in this world are deemed, uh, or out of the ordinary, are deemed not beautiful according to our standards. But here's what you need to know. God doesn't hold our standards. Eternity is going to be about God's standards, not ours. So, so the stuff that matters to you now about how you look, it, you know, very simply, it's not going to matter then. It's not going to matter partly because you had to learn to let it bother you in this life. It actually would have never bothered you. You didn't have surrounded by sinful people and weren't a sinful person yourself. God values uniqueness and diversity in our current system uh, to compare ourselves to each other will not exist there. Just throw it all out. Will we be fat, skinny, short, tall? I don't know. I'm just telling you it won't matter. It won't matter to you. It won't matter. Good questions. Good questions. Again, we're, we're pulling this out of broad uh, teachings of Scripture, but uh, questions that need to be answered. Here's another question that we don't ask very much, but needs to be asked and answered. Will we be free to sin in eternity? Free to sin, well, that's kind of a strange word. Free to sin, that's like saying uh, free to be enslaved. No thinking person chooses to do that. They don't. And, and that brings up a huge point about eternity. Eternity is going to be a place where we think right. This is not that place. This is not eternity. As long as you're on earth, you can be sure of this. Whatever you're thinking, you're not 100% thinking right about it. Not me, not you, not any of us. No one ever has. Because sin is tainting everything. Corruption. Sinful nature taints everything. In this life, we are tricked by both the devil and our sinful nature to think that sin can be fun and enjoyable and a better choice. That will not be true about eternity. It will not. Again, asking, will we be free to sin? It's like, well, first of all, I need to ask the question, will we be free to think? Because if we're free to think, we will not be free to sin. In the sense of no, one, no, no, no truly thinking person would do that. We do it now because we're not truly thinking. We're not. Our natures have, here have enslaved us to wrong thinking. Eternity will be truly free. And think of sin as it is, which is both ugly and ignorant. We will not be thinking of sin in any other way. We're not being lied to like we are now. You fall into sin. Why? Because you lie to yourself, and the world lies to you, and the devil lies to you. That will not be true in eternity. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. So let me just say this, sum it up this way. In eternity, sin will lose its motivation. <laughs> Why would I do that? Free to sin. Of course, you'll be free. That's the thing. You won't want to sin. You won't be of any interest to you whatsoever. Another question from our, again, misunderstanding, and a final one, maybe a couple questions here, but they all kind of sum up the same thing. Aren't we supposed to be, here's a question, aren't we supposed to be focused on this life and the world around us? Wouldn't, wouldn't a focus on eternity distract from that, detract from that? And uh, common thinking, you know, people say, well, he's so heavenly minded, he's of no earthly good. And uh, by the way, that doesn't come from the Bible. And in fact, the opposite is really true. So, so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good, who was more heavenly minded than Jesus? Hmm? So he was no earthly good? I don't think you want to say that, are you? Heavenly minded? You can't get more heavenly minded than the Son of God. He was of most earthly good. In fact, both the Bible 
and history demonstrate to us that those who are uh, who believe most strongly about heaven and eternity made the greatest differences on this earth. Think think about it this way. Here's a way to reason. So so again, logic and reason. So you go on vacation. I go on vacation. I just got back. I had a great time in Israel and Greece and Jordan. And being gone for almost three weeks. So we had to take care of several things before we left because you can't just leave stuff. Three weeks, lots, lots happens. Bills happen. Uh, uh, repairmen have to come. We had a repairman come and work on our, on our uh, AC. A couple of ACs, actually. Uh, we have pets. Um, we have mail. It has to be picked up. I mean, three weeks, the mail doesn't fit in your mailbox. It doesn't for us, anyway. So, so when you leave on vacation, especially if you're leaving for an extended vacation, uh, we, we focus on, our focus on that vacation means that we get certain things done and we leave other things undone. Here's some of the things that get done when we focus on vacation. Uh, we get things in order in our lives. Put things that, you know, we know three weeks, you know, I'm going to be gone three weeks, so I need to get these things taken care of and make sure these bills are paid and these things are, are set up and my, my mail is taken care of, my cats are taken care of. We, we take care of the things that matter the most when you're headed on vacation. Uh, we make sure people are prepared for our absence. I had to months in advance make sure that Pastor Greg was just dumping on me. He said, oh, by the way, Greg, I'm going to be gone for two Sundays, I hope you figure out a way to preach and lead the music at the same time. That wouldn't be very nice. Uh, he would be capable of it, but it would not be nice if I, if I had any way to know ahead of time that I'm going to be gone. I definitely need to, to forewarn him. I'm, I'm going to be absent, so you need to know that. So, so this is what we do when we go on vacation. Uh, a vacation mindset or before vacation mindset makes us really get things done. If you think about eternity as a permanent vacation, and be taking a vacation permanently from your sin, uh, from your sinful nature, permanent vacation for your in, incapability because of your own selfishness and mine, uh, vacation from uh, our inability to love and think outside of ourselves, uh, a vacation from thinking wrong. Uh, wow, permanent vacation from these things. That's eternity. It's going to be a great vacation, ladies and gentlemen. I'm looking forward to it. But as we focus on the vacation, it makes us more capable and more focused on the things that matter in this life. It really does. Uh, get things in order. Take care of things that matter. Make sure people are prepared. Wow. You see, a focus on eternity actually is the recommended thing. It's, it's being caught up in this life and thinking this, this is what really matters. It's what's going to mess you up. When you don't do the things that matter, you don't get people prepared for your absence. You don't do the things that need to be taken care of, and you, get things, you don't get things in order because you're not paying attention to what really matters, which is the forever and ever after this life. Someone wrote it this way. He says, when the resurrection comes and we look back over our lives in this world, it will seem like only a night stay in an inconvenient hotel. We look back over this life, entering eternity, we look back, just like a couple bad nights in a less than desirable hotel. That's a great way to think of it. Life is super short. 
super short. The stuff that matters to us in this life is not going to matter. The stuff that affects this life is not going to affect us there. The, the problems that we suffer and the issues on every level, memory and everything else, not going to affect us over there. The shortness and our inability to really love and really give, give of ourselves uh, that affects us this life, not going to affect us there. Not going to. It's going to be great. Are you looking forward to it? I know I am. I hope that you are. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we're headed toward a great life the best that this life can be. And Lord, we thank you how you bless us here. We have so many things that are great, but the best this life has to offer us is just a faded picture, just a, a scrambled up notion of what is actually to come for us. We look forward from the day that we can think right, we can love right, we can remember, we can know you, we can know others. We look forward to that day. Thank you so much, God, for what we're headed towards and the experiences we're going to have there. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.